It's a lot of fun. Keep it fun. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the UK Packers podcast. As usual, I'm your host, at NFL on Twitter. And, of course, follow the group at UK Packers. And as usual, I'm joined by me old buddy, me old pal, at Daryl J. O'Brien, and not by Mike. Mike. That was a once and once only event. Although, we'll get him back on again. He's a very cerebral guy. Very soft-spoken. Yeah. he's Very um, knowledgeable. People didn't think we had the Lee Rody to uh, say match nightman to his face, which yeah. is bizarre, kind of, because this is a publicly consumed podcast. <laughs> It'd be the worst hiding place if we were just like, it really would. Like, oh my God, did you say that? No, we, we never said it like that, man. I mean, mm. I, don't know, I don't know what you're talking about. And um, yeah. actually, to be fair, if he did have a problem with it, we'd have to delete basically 99.9% of the podcast. Yeah. Uh, it'll probably be on PC in about 25 years' time. You know, just when we make it successful on some sort of radio station. And then <laughs> Listen, they'll be like... As we've already said many times, the thing that gets us cancelled, we have already said. Oh, yeah. We yeah. just don't know what it is yet. We don't know no. what it is. But it's out there. I've offended someone. Yeah. So, yeah, we said it to his oh, face. Yeah. Oh, oh, hi. What are you doing? Here, look, you sent me a photo. So people don't know, right? People don't know I'm going to... And this is like those... Do you know what, do you know what I'm going to be like right now? I'm going to be like those people that put up like, oh, there's balloons on my profile on Twitter. And all they want to do is they want people to say, oh, ha- oh, yeah. oh happy birthday. Oh, my God. Right. Um, so I'm going to do that now. I'm going to sort of. Well, 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 hang on a minute. Just before we go there, people who say happy belated and nothing else on Facebook. Stop it. Stop yeah, it. Happy so. belated doesn't mean anything. Mm. It's not a sentence. Yeah. You're missing out the, the very important bit at the end. The bit that gives all the context as to what's belated. Mm hmm. And happy belated, it doesn't get you out of jail that you're going, oh, I just saw everyone else. What I I tend to find is the people that go, thank you very much for all the birthday wishes. I had a great day, smiley face. And then someone will go, happy belated, right below that comment every time. And you're going like, could you not be bothered? You're only shamed into it now because the person's basically called you out in public and said, all the other people that said, happy birthday to me. Mm. But then you couldn't even be arsed to say it properly, go, yeah, happy belated. Or HB is the other one. Oh, that's the worst. I was just about to raise that one. Like, that's kind of like HB. I want to. I couldn't be arsed giving you a full sense. Yeah, like, you're not getting a full one, but I've said it. You're not even worth two words. Just HB. Now my problem is I don't say anything to anyone on Facebook at all. So that's I'm just one of those creeps that reads everything but doesn't say anything. Yeah, I I don't so you know this FOMO fear of missing out. I've FOFO fear of finding yeah. out. I really don't care. <laughs> what anyone has yeah. To say. yeah, but actually I think that's part of our sociopathic tendencies that actually we mm. don't care but i'm also a very good person to tell secrets to Mm. because i don't care yeah i'm not gonna forget what you told me i just don't care Mm. that makes me a bad person no do you know what like it's really i don't know what it is i guess we've always kind of been like that right where we don't um yeah it's weird i don't share like i don't have i've barely anything up on my facebook uh, my personal twitter and stuff and i don't know because it's a very oversharey world and not like oh we're so much better because you don't share things but it's just I just, I'm very log cabin and, you know, get a dog log cabin, just escape off to the woods. I, you know, yo, you have that thing, okay? Like, it doesn't actually yeah. excite any emotion. I don't get that jealousy feeling. I think, I think, I think the problem is, lies with us. I think we're missing, like, vital human pieces. But anyway, what were you saying there? You were about to talk about shame right. something? I was just about You're to talk about, to shame someone. about my emotions. No, ah. um, it's so, people don't know this. Yeah, and it is shameful, but uh, I'm getting married. Do you know what? I told people I was getting married, right? First okay. off, 
Yeah, Joan and I have been together for like, what, 14 Since years? Since 1847. Lots, right? But we went about it back ways because we didn't want to, we yes. didn't want to splooge um, money on a wedding before we uh, had a house and kids and cars uh, and all that kind of, uh, So we didn't want to spaff money up the wall uh, for a wedding. Also, but, I will point out, and this is going to be quite important for the speech, you are an accountant and really tight. So, like a toy, I'm very toy. Toy body, you've got the toy body. I do, um, which is funny because her, her other side of the family's Dutch. But anyway, oh. they don't listen. They don't listen. Aaron Roger listens, but they, they don't listen. Uh, so it's the wedding. So you're coming over for the wedding, but your wife and kids have vacated early because let's face it, any chance to get away from you early is you that's know. hurtful but true. Yeah. Um. So I uh, received a pretty, pretty shocking picture there just before the podcast, yeah. if I'm honest. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of glad my wife is out of the jurisdiction now that we can bring this up, that the, I basically cleaned out. You know, Monica, anyone who's old enough and remembers Friends, or Monica had a wardrobe of shame that no mm. one could open. Yeah. Well, I have two plastic bags full of socks that have been unpaired. <laughs> and my wife has been yeah. suspiciously, but Sur- quietly, surreptitiously. And sur- surreptitiously hiding these socks in various baskets around the house so that you don't notice that when you put them all together... It's like a horde of socks. Yeah. I spent an hour trying to pair what I could this morning and I started crying halfway through. It became the seventh circle of hell. So I just bagged them all up, put them in the garage. I'm basically going to go out to the garden later with a shovel and like really, and it's going to be raining and it's going to be thunder and lightning. It's going to be dark. And I'm going to be digging a grave for the ultimate shame that is sock bag. Hey, multiple sock bags. I saw the photo, bro. Multiple sock bags. There are two sock bags. So Claire, if you're not, Claire, you're not listening because let's face it, you don't. But how dare you? Yeah. Well, that's what happens, you know. Didn't someone write a book? Who cares? There was something about a book. Anyway, do you know what I got? Do you know what I got? Speaking of books, do you know what I got? I got a Kindle. Um, oh, yeah. And I yeah, thought, welcome to the party. It's now 2022, mate. I know. But I just loved, I love the smell of it. I love the taste of it. When no. it comes to a physical book. And Joan kept telling me, no, seriously. And I was yes, like, no, no, I'm not having it. There's a different experience. But it's, be- is, it's because of this Kindle we are doing the podcast that we're doing now. That is correct. Uh, in a way. Um, because uh, I, we got the book. We got a book. It's brilliant, though. It's really, really good. It's Pat Kerwin. Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm waiting. Put a link in the show notes. Put a link in the show notes. Put a link in the show notes. Because, look, you know, I always like to... First off, it's really interesting. It's called Take Your Eye Off the Ball. Ooh, counterintuitive 2.0. Oh, I like that. How to watch football. Um, so it's basically all of the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. What, is, what do the receivers do? How do they get ready? What do the tight ends do? What, how can you do the running game? When you look at the game, what should you be looking at if you're not looking at the play? Um, and there's so much more going on. So Pat Kerwin is a guy who was employed by Pete Carroll and everybody else. And he sort of delves into, he was a quality control coach. So everyone was like, what the hell did they do? Now we know what they do. So it's a really, really good book. I think it was on probably one of Pete's list of uh, football books to read. It's uh, super easy reading, Daryl, isn't it? Especially if you're into NFL. It's, well, it's super easy reading. But one thing I will say, and we're going we're gonna to take a, a certain chapter today and kind of walk through it, but... It is mind-bogglingly detailed for something so simple. Like you can literally read this cover to cover and go, okay, I think I get it. Then yeah. read it again because yeah. there's so much in it that you kind of go, what, what? Yeah. What is that? What? But that's the thing. I mean, I've read this before, but when I went back and looked at it, I was like, oh, cool. Did you read 1.0 or 2.0? Oh, well, 1.5. I looked at it and I was kind of like, oh, great, brand new information. So it's just like, forget about all of it. Put that into our faces. But look, we're going to ask ourselves, Daryl, based on this book, and this is what we're going to do, and we're not going to make any bones about it. It's it's this book that was the inspiration for it. And we're going to apply this stuff in sort of a general basis, but also in particular to Aaron Rodgers. We're going to ask ourselves, how hard is... uh, 
How hard is Aaron Rodgers' job anyway? So you look at it, Daryl, he's getting a, a stinking amount of money. Uh, the, yeah. the We've seen the organization recent, 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 Josh, uh, bend over for him and sort of give him what he wants and stuff. Now, you understand that from a very casual perspective, don't you? You look at him and go, yes, yes he's brilliant. Look at, But the thing is, Daryl, and this is what we're going to talk about today, is that you look at it from a fan perspective and you go, oh, you know, he's, some people have sort of at odds with his attitude, but they look at his throws, his highlight reel throws, mm. and they go, that's why they're paying the big bucks. But actually, it's, it's really, it, obviously it is that, but it's not only that there's so, actually, how would you, percentage-wise, what would you say is an athlete's, a quarterback's sort of throwing ability versus all the other stuff? from reading this book and, and so there's two there's two ways of looking at that question one if you've looked at nfl for a couple of years casually and you're not that into it you'd say that hiking that ball around is 90 percent of what you do as a quarterback right it's all in your arm man it's your right arm you've got to be able to throw the ball you do these spinners you do these curtains you go 90 percent you're out in the training field firing the ball around after you watch the game for a few years you realize that that stat is completely flipped the other way mm. it's 90 percent is before you touch a ball, 90% of your job as a quarterback is done. Yeah, That, to me, still is shocking. And it's unique in world sport, in a team game anyway, that one player can be such a linchpin, can be so important. And it's a slight aside before we get into the actual, the meat of it. But, you know, you always hear the question of, well, oh, why doesn't he just, why doesn't he go somewhere else if he has a chance of winning Super Bowl? Can you, 99% of your job is done there in that organization because of all the work you've done. You can't pick a guy up and drop him into another organization. And I think it goes back to Aaron Rodgers' point when he said, I don't want to do a rebuild somewhere else. Yeah. I don't want to start all over again. And you see why? Because 90% of what you've done before you go out onto the pitch, that's your job. You can't just pick that up and drop into another organization because it just doesn't work that way. Yeah, and I mean, we'll get into the weeds of it now um, because it is fascinating stuff because if anybody wanted to know, you know, what does Aaron Rodgers do? Like, you know, after he finishes on Sunday and there's all this talk, he goes on the Pat McAfee show and he's very enlightening and he talks about drinking tequila. But that, you know, all that goes out the window because when you look at the responsibility that he has and what he has to know and how important he is in the organization, you can see why Matt LaFleur says, no, I, I work with Aaron. And then there has, there's this kind of dumb narrative out there like, oh, well, how much do you want to give Aaron? Do you, like, do you want to just tell him, just tell him what to do? And you're kind of thinking, you do understand it's got nothing to do with that because once he's out on that field, yes, you can call in the play. Uh, but all of the success of the play, and this might seem obvious, but it all comes down to him. You can't just say, no, it's the play calls. Now, of course, it's, it's a meld of everything. But I guess we'll start off, Daryl, by reiterating the fact that now again if anyone wants to have a crib in a moan um, it's from Take Your Eye Off The Ball 2.0 and it's a it's what is it chapter 3 or something that talks chapter about chapter 3 yeah um, so basically the physical attributes are nice uh, but a lot of the challenge is actually pre-snap and what we mean by that Daryl is is the prep so when the quarterback starts to prep um, and also what he's prepping by doing and an awful lot of that is so the game is done Sunday Monday swings around and Aaron Rodgers would be sitting in with Matt LaFleur and the coaches and they'll be doing the observation and breakdown of Sunday's game. But the minute Tuesday swings around, the game plan for the following Sunday is already being ironed out, fine-tuned. They know exactly where they're going, which when you read it is pretty incredible, Daryl, isn't it? That Sunday's only mm. just gone. You know, they talk about the rest day on Monday or they're coming in and they're doing sort of a light workout just to sort of shake off the knocks. But the quarterback in about a day, a day and a half... It just goes to show, Daryl, doesn't it, how far ahead Matt LaFleur and 
you know, Stenovich now will be looking ahead and going, right, that game was nice, but we have to move on to the next one. And that's why they take one yeah. week at a time, I guess, because that sort of focus. Yeah. Incredible, isn't it? It brings that trope into real focus, doesn't it? And we always say, oh, they always say this when they say we're taking it one game at a time. Yeah. And when you read Kerwin's thoughts on just what the quarterback does and the amount of other... Basically, he shakes hands and talks to even the guy who waters the flowers in order to get part of his... You know, basically, look at him. He's the complete linchpin. He talks to absolutely everybody. In fact, he probably speaks to more people during the week than LaFleur does in prepping for this game. And it's when you see them saying, oh, we're taking it one week at a time. Because I honestly, when you just read, just reading uh, Kerwin's chapter on the quarterback, I don't know when he actually does gym work. I don't know when Mm. he has time for the actual physical conditioning because the the shopping list of things he needs to get through starting basically Monday morning, the day after the game to get him to Sunday for the following game. I just don't know where he finds the time to fit all this stuff in the amount of tape he needs to watch alone. Now, and we'll get to this later on. There's a big difference between an old grizzled quarterback like Rogers and a young guy coming in as to the level of preparation they can get done because to be fair, dumping all this on a young quarterback wouldn't be fair. And the older quarterback is playing against these guys year in, year out. So you learn the ticks of certain guys, but the, uh, there cannot be understated how much prep goes into watching tape. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, we've, and we have that sort of trope uh, with Brett Favre looking at it. He didn't know what a dime was or, you know, mm. and he's kind of like, oh, well, who cares? Cause he's sort of a gung ho kind of guy. But as you say, there's a, ma- as you say, there is a massive difference between the rookie the kind of the even the quarterback that's kind of parachuted in because of injury or he is experienced he's a sort of a Chase Daniel type uh, or Rogers who sort of settled in the system to Rogers an awful lot of this stuff he can probably sort of flow through it he's looked at the opponents he knows how to read the game tape he knows what tells to look for but as you say for a young guy you know it's all about simplifying the game plan not showing him everything uh, you know, giving them certain plays that have high, high win percentage. But what's incredible is, is that by Tuesday, they have the game ironed out. And by Friday, he'll know all of the opponent's personnel on, on defense. All of their tendencies are as much as he possibly can. Their tells as to what package they're in. And not only does he know the opposite team and, you know, because the thing about it is as well, is that they game plan on their offensive line. So Bakhtiari's out. So now they're going to game plan that Rodgers is always going to be more predisposed uh, to go to his right side because he's got to try evade pressure. So they sort of have to plan for that. And he's looking at the sort of the main threats on defense and trying to knowing when to work away from those and when he needs to step up. But Daryl, not only that, is that he needs to know everybody else on his own team's offense, obviously, all of their responsibilities as well. Yep. Because he's the quarterback, he needs to know what routes they're running. And, you know, when we talk about routes and calling plays and everything else like that, that's a mind melt in itself. But as we've said, right, is that it comes down to he needs to know the game plan by Tuesday, Friday. He's got it all locked down. What throws a spanner in the works there? An injured player like Devontae Adams goes down. Everything needs to change. And that's why I know there is a section in the chapter and I won't lie. I had to read it, I'd say, about three times calling the play. And the amount of calls that you needed to learn and everyone around you needed to learn and you, you know which ones do you use when and that all comes down to you know you're in play yes they can you can hear a call over the mic let's face it most quarterbacks nowadays don't call the plays on the pitch straight away they'll they'll lean into whatever they've been given but obviously change if they have to but calling the play to me very much struck me as an actor learning their lines yeah but unlike an actor learning their lines the you use so you might have to learn let's just to pull a number out of the sky, you might have to learn, say, 50 play calls for this particular game. You won't know which of those 50 you're going to use 
because you don't know what the opponents are going to do in front of you and you've got to switch in the moment and it's again you know a lot of quarterback plays timed it's time pressured you must make this play you must make it within a certain period of time or you're going to get sacked so it's one of those things of it's like learning your lines but you don't know which lines you're going to say depending on what actors walk out on stage in front of you and that's happening live so that's was terrifying for me when I read now I had to read it a few times because I found it extremely confusing as to what exactly these calls and what these plays meant uh, that alone for me was confusing that's again not something that any rookie quarterback can walk in with so you've got a great right arm that's what got you there but staying there is a completely different kettle of fish oh it's no use to you and that's the thing again the sort of surface analysis and enough of these guys have played in the NFL and they're going to analyze the game based on the viewership yeah. too. They're not going to start going into this is an elephant packer. They're going to go, oh, cool, nature. Yeah. Um, you know, so they're not going to really get into it, but they talk about a cannon of an arm. And as you say, yeah, it's great, brilliant. But, you know, you need to get all this 90% of the stuff edited away. So what I found fascinating and on your subject of sort of calling the play was is that it kind of seems to us that you know, the head coach, Matt LaFleur, the offensive coordinator, whoever's calling the plays, has that play card. And they basically just, they go, do you know what I'm going to do? Philly special. You know, and they just pick yeah. out of their arse, whatever they want to do. When in fact, when they practice it, they practice on down and distance. So the team will have ran through set plays from every scenario. Um, you know, they have a sheet and they have about four or five plays. So they'll have four or five plays for, you know, third and five, third and ten. Uh, they'll have other plays for fourth and one, you know, so they'll have all of these plays. So it's not completely random where the minute the game comes in, they're kind of, you know, flustered around to see what's going to do. And then on top of that, um, they will do their tape study and they have to trust the tape. So what they'll do is, is they will do this practice on down and distance and then the quality control coach. And this is something that we always get is that like quality control. What's that quality street? What is it? The quality of the boots? I mean, what, what's happening here? Uh, the quality control coach will know, uh, you know, on his section, he will have a really in-depth knowledge. They talk about the players going to different teams and sort of picking his brain, but the quality control coach, Daryl, is fascinating. This is a guy who'll sit up in the booth and they will tell him, right, we want a balanced game. And the reason we want a balanced game is not for no reason at all. And this is what sort of irks us as fans is that you will see the pass working, but then all of a sudden they'll try run the ball mm -hmm. for a while. And they're like, what are they doing? Like, it's quite obvious that the pass is working. But again, if they keep passing, the defense will key on the pass and then they'll, shut, well, if they can, they'll try shut it down. And then it becomes one-dimensional. And then they can't run. And then it gets cut out of hand. So the quality control coach, they'll say to him, we want about a 60-40 split on pass and run. So he'll sit up in the booth and he'll be looking at it. And he will come down and feed down to them. Look, you're leaning a bit too far into the pass. Another thing the quality control coach will do is he'll say, look, when you go into an obvious run situation, you put AJ Dillon out there. Um, they stack the box in this way. This player does this if he's if he's faking stacking the box and he's going to back off or whatever. So they will sort of let them know on their tails. But I just found that interesting, Daryl, that the game plan uh, first off in the in the start of the game, usually with the the offenses that's clearly come in. You know, I think they've been doing this probably since the eighties. Is they will script the first ten and fifteen plays so that everybody knows what's up, um, and then after that, it, it, the play she will have so. How complicated is that, Daryl? Is that you're a quarterback, you need to know the defense, their tendencies, uh, you need to know all of your offense, uh, where they're going to be, their abilities, how fast they are, because Devontae's out, so you, obviously gone, but Devontae's out, so you have Alan Lazard in. Is he faster, is he slower? Does he get to that point quicker? Do you have that chemistry with him? But then on top of that, you have in your mind that menu of plays, and you go, oh, look, it's third and four, so I have the option of these five plays. And even when the audible 
they will audible out of one of those plays into another one of those set plays usually, right? Now, Aaron Rodgers obviously has that license to kind of more go off on a whim. But the thing is, and this is what's said in Pat Kerwin's book, and I'll stop talking now, but I get very excited about the subject, is that Aaron Rodgers can know all of those plays and he can go very exotic with like, oh, do you know what we're going to do? We're going to call this play because I really think this is going to work based on the coverage that I see. You have you can only call a play that your players are capable of knowing what you're calling um, and then being able to actually run that play. So again, there, we haven't even snapped the ball yet. No, he hasn't even thrown the ball yet. And that's what's terrifying here. Um, and actually, if you get a chance to look at Crowan's book, there's a lot of um, root trees in there mm. uh, that Don Coriel came up with. But you're right there. I think you've hit the nail on the head. And I think especially coming in to this season mm. without having Devante sitting there is that... and. A lot of commentators used to say it in all the games of these guys think with the one mind, they completely understand what each other's doing. Because let's face it, if the receiver is to, is to pick up a ball in a certain position, but he can't because he's going to get blocked, he needs to think, well, I can't go that way now. Yeah. Rogers needs to know he's blocked. He's not going to be able to do what I'm, gonna, what I'm just about to throw. I need to change. Then Adams needs to think he's seen that I'm blocked. So he's, <laughs> there's no point in me trying to make this. So yeah. I've got to change. If any one of those little looks, nudges, and let's face it, 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 nowadays football is all about faking, right? It's trying to hide what you're going to do from your opposition for as long as you possibly can to squeeze that quarterback as much. Don't give him an inch. Don't, you know, forget about the tape. Don't move. Don't give him the thing. We, in other words, a lot of teams are looking at their own tells and saying, well, don't do that. Because when you do that, they're looking at the tape. And if you do or in next time do that because he's gonna in other words trying to make squeeze that quarterback as much as you can so the quarterback is already under a rake of pressure before he's even pulled that ball back mm. he's looking ahead in front of him he's trying to figure out are the defense doing what i think they're going to do i'm looking at adams out there is he going to be able to do what i'm about to throw him because now i need to do this i was going to do play one i now need to do two because the defense is doing this oh Devontae's stuck. I can't do three now. I've got to move to... And it's all these decisions that he has to make in, and again, under time pressure. It's not like chess. You've yeah. all day in chess. But This guy needs yeah. to, before he's even pulled that ball back, he's got to calculate all of this stuff before and, he even throws the ball. And that's the thing, Daryl. There's two different types of time pressure uh, that Kerwin mentions in his book. It's the play clock. So you have to uh, get in there, call the play, get out and, and have that 15 second buffer. Um, up at the line of scrimmage if you need to check out of a play. So that's one play clock. And then, um, I don't want to get ahead of myself because I'll pull it back now, but when the ball is snapped, that quarterback has to have an imaginary clock in his head to know when to pull the trigger on that ball because he can't hold on to it for long enough, um, which is muddied by... And look, I just find it fascinating about the whole thing of, you know, if there's a new player that has to come in to fill in because Devontae gets turf toe or whatever. I know we're using Devontae, but sort of as an older example, right? Um, you know, well, then he ha- that whole game plan changes because if they're doing uh, end arounds or anything, well, then, you know, there's certain players that can get to that point quicker and he needs to call the play quicker. He needs to co- say that, look, we're going to snap the ball on two instead of three. And, and when we snap that ball, that player has to be in this exact position to be able to hand the ball off. But a really interesting one was is that even during the game, to make it even tougher, is that Bobby Tonyan gets injured, so they have mm. a backup tight end. It might be the case, and often is, and you'll see this in the game where Rodgers is, is, uh, is jarring and jabbing a lot behind the line of scrimmage, that he'll call the play. The backup, as much as he is prepared, is now in the bright lights. He hasn't got a rashers what he's doing. No. And Rodgers literally has to verbally explain well, to him. him. You, coach yeah, him exactly. on the pitch. Imagine yeah. that, Daryl, coaching yeah. a guy on the pitch 
is if his job isn't tough enough. And as you said about that, sort of the play calls and everything else. So Rogers again has to get in. And if anyone's sort of interested in a couple of little tidbits, number one, when you see Rogers looking to the sideline, uh, they're probably calling in like do play three off the play sheet in this down and distance position. So, you know, they'll make certain hand signals and motions to him if the comms go out. But also, Daryl, if it's a really, really noisy stadium, um, you know, you cannot underestimate how much that screws up him being able to call the audible, right? Um, do you want to go into a little bit just about the, the verbiage of the play calls and also about the the hot colours and yeah. all that kind and of again, stuff? Again, this was this chap this was the part of the chapter that I had to read so many times. Again, if you grew up playing other sports like rugby, you'll know the call is very important. Another point I will make about the audibles before we get into the specific types of colours and quantities of names and numbers and all the it's basically again, this is a second language. Mm. It's the the role of the um home crowd. And this is something that I think comes into focus when you focus on chapters like this in books like this that go into details like this is when the floor was basically blaming the crowd saying you need to stop roaring at certain points and you need to start roaring at other points. Like you've got to give us that home advantage. And you really see that, that if if these guys have an inability to make this audible call so that the receivers can hear it, that is invaluable to a team because you're actually breaking the off the offensive line down to a degree that the players are looking they can't see because, because they can only see they can't hear and not to put in but I mean it just sort of you know it goes into it that like just because you you know right you know right be noisy they can't do the play calls but the thing is so Rogers is standing at the line uh, he looks at the coverage and realises the play that he's after calling in the huddle because that's the only place they can hear him say they're away against Seattle and um, when he stands up there he knows this is going to be an absolute nightmare it's not going to work uh, from what he sees from the coverages they're trying to hide it but he thinks he wants to change and usually he'd call out that number or colour whatever that you're going to go into but if he can't get that message out well then he has to make signals um, and he has to sort of say and some of these things as well they don't even bother calling it uh, in the huddle and yeah. especially if it's you know there's different scenarios to like the two minute uh, drill where they don't have time to huddle up they need to get down the pitch so what he'll do is he'll do these check plays so it's like check with me if it's going to be a, a pass check with me if it's going to be a run or check with me if it's going to be an option of both but in order to do that Daryl it's, it's even more complex, right? Because Rogers is up at the line of scrimmage. He needs to change his O-line, so they need to shift around the protection. Uh, he needs to get that done, so he needs to communicate that to his centre because the centre is the guy that usually causes that to change. But then we even... So let's look at Josh Myers. So here's a guy who's new, um, and I know these O-linemen are experienced and all that kind of stuff, you know, coming out of college, but is that uh, the book goes into Jeff Saturday, which Packer fans will know. Mm. He was a favourite. Uh, so when he was with Peyton Manning, Jeff Saturday had the ability to switch up protection without even having really to check with Peyton and move the line around and all that kind of stuff uh, within two seconds of the ball being snapped. That's not normal. So if Rodgers has to change the protection to make the play go to the opposite side of the field, let's say, or check out of a run and go to a pass... You know, he needs to be able to communicate that to his offensive line. But not yeah. only that, he has his receivers now who cannot hear the cadence of when the ball is snapped because it doesn't matter anymore. They have to literally turn their heads and stare at the ball the same as the defensive players, which means that they're at a disadvantage now because they can get jammed at the line or, you know, it kind of puts them off their route. So it just goes to show how home field advantage is a thing. But Daryl, Rogers, we've heard him all the time go green 18. So what stops teams then? from knowing that when he says green 18, oh, he's just going to run a pass play. Yeah, and that's and that's what's terrifying here because it adds another layer of dummy calls. So, you know, the book talks about light and, or, sorry, you know, hot and sort of cold colours. 
And depending on whether the color is hot, it's a code basically for what play is going to be made next. But what they can do, you can figure that code out that if he says red 22 and it goes to the right all the time, well, then yeah, you know that call. Mm. But what you see Manning used to do quite a bit. And then I think there was that famous Omaha call Omaha, all yeah. the time where yeah. no one knew what it meant. It's just like he's just shouting at no one. And it did mean something. But, it, you know, the code becomes even so you've had to learn your second language. You know, and in the and in the book, Kerwin talks about he takes a particular call and he calls it "eye weak right," yeah. where there's sort of the you know where the eye is the tailback. He's six point five yards behind the quarterback. The weak tells the fullback that he's offset in the B gap on the weak side. That's the side opposite the tight end. And then the play of the tight end is going to line up on the right. Now that's an awful lot of information for three words. So that's where we get into, and Kerwin goes into even more detail later on, um, where you can either make it as short as possible, that sentence, or you can make it extremely long, depending on how much information you want to put into that sentence. But again, that becomes under pressure when the team can't hear what you're saying. But I think yeah. the key point is here, everyone knows what those things mean after a time. But if you want to further confuse the defense, well, then you've got to change up what that means. And everyone needs to know when that means something else. You know, does does he does our hand signal involved in it at the same time? Does does that call mean something else when he's in a certain, you know, a certain position on the pitch? Again, that goes down to the Omaha call that the players obviously knew what he meant when he shouted it. But no one else figured it out. And even if you do figure it out, and the same same comes with line calls in rugby that they'll just change it next week. Um, or within the quarter that's what I found fascinating the quarter, that's that, terrifying yeah. they change it in a game the hot colour is green 18 so green is the hot colour but if they change it in the second quarter he goes green 18 again and people go oh that's the run yeah. and, but it's not because the hot colour now is red so he'll yeah. have to say red 24 check 24 which yeah. is amazing and do you know what sort of stands out to me Daryl and you were kind of talking about this in pre-production so um, I'll, I'll let you loose on this one but be- before we get there it's in the same vein of that Of and you were kind of talking about the play calls where you know, there's a difference between the East Coast and the West Coast offense. The mm. West Coast offense is, is high in verbiage where, or verbiage, uh, where they will literally call everything else. So like that play you mentioned, I weak right. So, you know, six and a half it, uh, yards behind you and weak right to the weak side and all this kind of stuff. And then what he'll do is, is so the, the first part of the play um, calls out the play call to where everybody's supposed to line up. The second part is whether it's a run or pass mm. and what holes on the right side, which are even numbers, and the left side, which are odd, you know, that your running back is going to hit. And then also every player has a number. So your X, Y, and Z receiver, not always wide receivers. Sometimes they're tight end. Sometimes it can even be a running back. So they will be giving given numbers. Um, and those numbers will be routes. So people would hear like, oh, he ran a quick out, which is, uh, denoted by the number one and then you ran a slant which is a zero a curl in for instance is a six a dig in is a four dig out yeah. is a three you know uh, running flies as they call them is a nine so how he'll communicate that is he'll say I weak right and then if he wants to run a post route uh, wants to run a, a quick out and wants to run a fly he'll say I weak right eight one nine and that's x y z uh, so you know I think they work from uh, left to right and then with the fullback they tell him verbally what he's supposed to do. So now it becomes I weak right eight one nine, uh, fullback opposite. So he wants the fullback to go to the opposite side, and to make matters even more confusing, that's in the East Coast offense. In the West Coast yeah. offense, which is the offense that the Packers run by and large, it's the offense that Kyle Shanahan is famous for, um, that the Rams are famous for. Is that with those passing games they call the routes by their name and not their number? So now it becomes. I weak right, X fly, Y stop, Z curl, full back free. And that keeps on going and going and going. And then what to add to it, Daryl, is they add in option routes. So now he's calling them out, but also calling out the options that they can do. So number one, what that tells me is, is that 
Uh, it's confusing for any quarterback, especially when they get into a new system. We see an Aaron Rodgers with the Buzz Lightyear wristband, let's say, yeah. uh, to go in and to look at it and go, what the hell is he talking about? Uh, so there's that. There's sort of every coach will have kind of slightly different terminology. But just the sheer length of the sentence. And there was a famous bit with um, Sean McVay and Carl Shanahan where they got uh, Jared Goff to sort of call out the play that he would bring in. And it's literally lasts for about 20 seconds. I mean, the playcocks nearly ran out at that stage. But to call all of that stuff out, to call the options out. So Aaron Rodgers is not only calling out where he wants his receivers to be, where he wants his O-line to line up, where he wants his fullback tailbacks to be, what hole that they have to hit in the line. But now he's calling out the options if those ones aren't on. So he's remembering, like, it's like being a barman, you know? It's like remembering, like, 16 different things at once. Daryl, explain to me how, and it sort of puts it into perspective, you're Jordan Love coming into this offense. What, what, yeah. what are you thinking? Yeah. Well, you know, what's terrifying is, is you do all what you can do in college. You've got this great arm. You've got all these throws. You can put the ball, you know, into the tiniest spot on the pitch. You can hit anyone that's running. And then you realize none of that matters. Yeah. And that must be terrifying. You're in a couple of weeks into an organization and they go, yeah, that's great, Jordan. That's great ball work. But we don't we don't need you to do any of that. Uh, and, you know, you, you see, and Kerwin makes the point with, you know, these juniors, you get the rookies in and you get the playbook and you make it really small for them. Like, it's terrifying. It's like learning shorthand. You're going, he won't be able to handle that. Just give him give him the give him the Cliff Notes edition of this book <laughs> uh, and get him to learn it. And then I think it really does. And something I wasn't aware of before I read this book was the East was the difference between the East Coast and the West Coast play mm. calling yeah. routine. Uh, like, I'm sorry. And Kerwin makes the point that there are there are the odd person that can slip from one routine to another where you basically look at the play call and you, in your head you go oh they've called that black banana but that's actually um you know this one that i've already done before so it's one of those things that if you have that and almost if you have to be a pretty good linguist here uh, to get your head around that and realize no no i'm just gonna this is i know that i get this i'm not overwhelmed by this but that i'd say that's few and far between yeah you know it's just an area that i hadn't thought about in any real detail beforehand that you go you've got a great arm you're good right not at all not at all. It just it's we we all know it's intricate, right? When you see it, and it's good to drink a few beers and watch it and stuff. But when you yeah. delve into the detail of this, it's actually mind-boggling how anything yeah. works. You know, yeah. so you look at it, and so sort of to to really quickly summarize, Rogers comes in of a Monday, Tuesday. He's got the game plan down. Uh, if anyone gets injured, everything changes because he, you know, because they Daryl they admitted that the plays to Devontae Adams were like ninety percent of the playbook that they relied on. All of that's going to change now, and yeah, particularly that's what's if, really interesting. Yeah, but it just it boggles my mind to think that he, he's keying in on the defense, their tendencies, how they disguise plays, because that's what it's all about. It's about disguising plays, particularly in the NFL now. And that's why Mike Petton, there was an awful lot of fanfare. When Joe Barry came in, there was an awful lot of fanfare about how do you disguise your plays. And Rodgers will come off some of the games and go, yeah, they did a really good job because I had no idea what they were doing. And that's how Aaron Rodgers doesn't get picked off an awful lot because he tends to key in on what the defense are doing or be very safe with the ball. And that comes down to accuracy. But even Daryl, down to, you know... How far does he drop back? Is it a three-step drop? Is it a five-step yeah. drop? And a three-step would be a quick route, which means that if you do that, you're committing. Because the thing is, is your O-line will block to where you call that play. If you're calling a short drop back, it means you're going to get the ball out quickly. If you're going to get it out quickly, you don't have time to let plays develop. And if you're running around like a madman behind there, they they and this is what they do in practice, which is an interesting insight too, is they will have a dummy and they'll put the dummy in a certain place, and they say, that's the area we're protecting, and they have to depend on the quarterback to fall back into that area. Now, it doesn't happen all the time, obviously, that way, but that's the area in their mind, because obviously they're not looking behind them. So they're hoping that Rodgers has dropped back, as he said he would, in this launch place, 
and he's going to launch the ball and this is how much time that they have and it's a really nuanced sort of dance you know and if it's a longer play like so if it's short he'll go 30-30-30 for a 3 step drop he'll go 50-50-50 for a 5 step drop not all the time sometimes he'll switch up the cadence where uh, the way he'll call the cadence he's trying to buy himself a couple of seconds isn't he just to see did the defence move in a certain way and that's why you'll see him cock his leg back and you'll see the receiver or the running back switch uh, uh, flip the field uh, a bit and switch areas of the field from right to left, left to right to see if anybody follows him, if he can sort of key on whether is this zone, is this man, is he, are they dropping people into the box or what are they doing? But Daryl, it strikes me too that on top of learning the defence, learning the tendencies, knowing what all his players are doing, factoring in the injury to it, knowing about four to five plays for every down and distance, uh, knowing what your calls are going to be if you're in the no huddle, uh, if you're in the hurry up offense, um, if you're in a loud away stadium, uh, you're also dealing with coaching players that come on if they get injured mid-game. We haven't snapped the ball yet, by the way. Yeah. And then the center, you need an experienced O-line and center more so to change up the plays. Like, I'm exhausted already. Yeah, that's why I think it is actually mind-boggling and the terrifying thing then is and i defy anyone to just read chapter three in this book it's not very long it's what 20 pages read that then look at what aaron Rodgers and a top quarterback does these amazing things they do on the field and you think well a machine a guy that's been turned into a machine Mm. that can still perform these superhuman feats basically having learned all of that stuff but still being able to apply your own particular flair to a game and to pull off some of the throws Rodgers have pulled off over the years, knowing now what you know, it's you can appreciate even more, I think. I think it's one of those things you actually will take your hat off completely and go, I don't know how anyone does all of that prep and then knows all of those calls and still manages to pull off these amazing plays. Yeah, because, yeah, it's the physical side of thing as well. Like, it must be really disappointing if you had a quarterback that had the mental acumen to do all of this, but then when he got out on the field, you know, doesn't have the throws anymore, which is the frustrating part about an older golfer or an older yeah. quarterback is that they have all of the, It's like what they say about being a parent. You only have all of the knowledge you need to be a good parent when it's too late and it, you've already done it. So, you know. That's why you got grandkids. Yeah. That's well, you got grandkids. And then you break all the rules and give them chocolate for breakfast. Yay, just give them sweets. Thanks, Nanny. I just just like me. Um, so, yeah, it's one of those things that, you know, and then you can have the, the opposite side that you can. And it sort of, you know, what it reminds me of, and I'm falling over myself a bit here, is Brett Hundley. Like they must, they saw him and, and Mike McCarthy were saying at the time, you know, we're happy that he's able to step in here because he must have been in the quarterback room reading the plays right, reading mm. the defense right, making good decisions, making the pre-snap reads, calling the right audibles. But just, there's, you can still have all of that, Daryl. But it still doesn't come down to when you get onto the field that you're going to do it. But Rodgers is out there, right? He has learned the tendencies. He's reading the defense. He knows where all of his players are supposed to be, uh, both where they should be, where he's going, where they might option into. If the play breaks down, he knows that he wa- he knows where to look. And that's why you see him screaming at these younger guys because they should work their way back to the ball because, you know, all all holds barred then. It's just like, just bang the ball anywhere. You just need to get open. But you can understand from a, a young receiver's perspective where they're trying to remember, okay, you know, I'm on, I have to do this I have to, on a dig, but then I have to do this also if the option of that, if that's not on. But then I have to get my head out of my ass as well and realize, you know, is the play breaking that? Because again, their back is to the action. And then they have to turn around, uh, obviously, and expect the ball. 
because we saw, we've heard over the years that in the Holmgren Favre offense is that, you know, more often than not, you'll have lads running around and it's just a distraction. They're just there to pull coverage. They don't expect the ball at all. And then sometimes the ball comes whizzing in and they don't expect them to make that drop. And to us on the couch, it's easy to say, that's your job. What are you doing? But to them, yeah. it's like, I didn't expect to get the ball. Yeah, that wasn't supposed. my job. Yeah, that yeah. wasn't part of this play like. Yeah. But like, it's all of that, right? And then you have, he's calling the gaps that they're meant to go through. He's he's letting the play clock run down, which annoys Packers fans to bits because Rodgers is trying to read the play. But then he's got to worry about time management. He's got to worry about how many seconds are left on the clock, how many minutes or, or seconds, in his case, are left in the quarter, um, what position they are on the field. And Daryl, there's a play call for every one of those. If it's the yep. two minute drill, you go into this package. If it's the, you know, you have, it's coming up to the end of the, of the first half, you have this thing. If you're winning your own end zone, you have to call these plays. It's, uh, do you know what? When you look at it and you're kind of like, okay, to be a quarterback, no, look, we know we're saying it's a hard job. God damn it, it's not mining. But, you know, you do see how you could easily play your way out of your job oh, yeah. because yeah. it's just yeah. so yeah. difficult. Just mentally, you'd mentally play yourself out as well, yeah. though, because getting yourself bogged down in that it's to, to me i'd look at it i know i've made the analogy a few times now but a bit like learning a second language but mm. when you're so busy in your head trying to remember things remember how to say it remember that you've got it right that you're not looking at what's ahead of you in other words you need to be extremely fluent very quickly because there's no rooms for messing around there's no room for messing around here but what i will say about all this you narrow that all down you say that's all great but we're not, they're not machines they're human beings it is still a sport that is there to be enjoyed it's still free-flowing because it's people in their millions watch it mm. what i will say and one of the enjoyable things about nfl is it doesn't count for luck and luck is an amaze, still an amazing part of what it means in, to watch a good play in, in NFL. And also, I will say there's a lot to be said for a player that's lucky. And people say, well, I don't believe in luck. Well, I don't know, because in sport, you'll see it. You'll see, you'll see Big Ben the odd time again, a guy who's like an amazing player. All the stuff he's done over the years, but you'd never call the man a lucky guy. You know, he's had to work and it's one of these things of, and I don't think any of these quarterbacks, maybe Favre was one of these. I mean, he's a bit old school. Uh, Favre was, used to rise his luck a bit, I think. He used to go, ah, bish bash, just whack the ball out there to be grand. Yeah. You know, he had that kind of attitude, but luck followed him. And he was brilliant. There's no doubt about it. You cannot be a quarterback. And people say, well, you make your own luck. And how do you make your own luck? You'll be prepared. Roy Keane would tell you it's no such thing as luck. It's preparation. But I think there is something to be said for that. And I think, I think Favre was a lucky player. I think Rodgers is a lucky player. Yes, he makes the space, but he sees the space. And sometimes mm. it's just with... Yeah, I mean, look, I, that's the thing that strikes me. Um, I just... And that, it's sort of a testament to how good of a player that Rodgers is, mm. is that some of these lasers you see, uh, there's one famous one, I can't remember who was talking about it, um, where they put their hands up and the ball literally grazed their fingertips. And you're kind of like, are we actually saying that Aaron yeah, Rodgers yeah. is skillful enough to graze the fingertips of a defender, to squeeze the ball in between another two defenders who collide to get that player in the end zone? Exactly like you say. There's an awful lot of that where he reads the probabilities, but yeah. it still comes down to he's going to throw off. the ball yeah. into that window. Can he do it? Yeah. yeah. And sometimes you know, it doesn't. I do enjoy it. I know, yeah, but when it, when it works, and that's why when you know what you know now, uh, you know, and, we, and let's face it, in all the tape we've watched over the years, we do tend to focus on what's going on off the ball. And that's only on the pitch, right? The thing to do now as a fan is to forget what's happening off the ball on the pitch. Now look at what's happening before we've even gotten onto the pitch. And the game opens up in, in a whole new way to people when you realize that, oh, dear Lord, these are these people are being paid too much money. Yes, they are. Mm. Oh, yeah. But they work for it. 
Yeah. Not all of it, but they work for it. But the thing about it is, and what I find is, is that the, it's, a, it's a difficult job, right? And again, there's people out there uh, like us, we're sitting in cubicles, right? And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're being worked till, till midnight. But, you know, it's so there's so many people trying to get these jobs because they're like massively high paying, obviously. And it seems, and they talk about, oh, we're just playing a kid's game. And you can see from Kerwin's book, if you read on and you get it to the running backs and all that, mm. you realize that, you know, the positions are an awful lot easier, but then the running backs, it's not easier physically. Okay, they're told, no. run through the B gap. That's where you're going to be. Just run downhill, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but there are, there's so many people chomping for your job. But I guess to round it off with exactly what the quarterback has to do then, even when he snaps the ball, is he has to receive the snap. Which yeah. to uh, yeah yeah you know the the quarterback center exchange, it's sort of a given you know you're just like oh well obviously but like they work on that even veterans work on that because that always goes tits well, up. That was something interesting that Curran put in the in this chapter was that and again it's something I didn't appreciate was that this is something they actually teach you at an NFL level because no one yeah. focuses on it in the college level so that people the, the simplest move in the end which well what you imagine is the easiest thing in the world is getting that ball back to the quarterback um is apparently one of the things they need to work on so hard with rookies because they haven't a clue how to do it and then when we see them dropping it you're going jesus this is ridiculous but then you realize no it's actually a skill in itself that ball before the bit that you don't even count as play you go just get the ball into play that's the bit they work on which i found again fascinating going what all these millionaires can't throw a ball back yeah, but that's the thing. I mean, the direct snap they don't do typically in college. So that's yeah. that's new to these guys. But, you know, it's twofold, isn't it? So you have a rookie quarterback who has sort of, you know, doesn't know how to, to do it. And it's, he's nervous. Uh, hands are sweaty. Palms sweaty. Mom's spaghetti, right? Oh, so it then, sounds like a song I know. It does. Uh, I should write that down. Uh, so then you have the center. So the center has to do that. And that's yeah. a coveted place. And, they, you know, they talk about their ball handling skills and change of protection and everything else. But then the ball is snapped. Then Rodgers needs to know how fast the receivers are, what their tendencies are. Like you spoke about earlier, the chemistry. Can he see body language in there? And remember, all of this stuff's happening in a split second. Not only that, he's keying in on the JJ Watts or, you know, insert Khalil Mack, insert name here. So he knows that the pressure is going to be strong from that side. So he has to take that into account. But he also has to trust that his O-line should be able to do their job so that he has to know the escape routes and the places that he cannot escape to. And that might mean that he knows that, you know, Mac is going to come from that side. If he gets pressure from the opposite side, he can't just blindly run in like uh, Mark Sanchez into an arse, uh, you know, and, and smack into him, but fumble away. He needs to know that, OK, this is a time where I have to throw the ball away. And that's what we see with an awful lot of rookies. They don't know when to just leather that ball up into the stands and give a fan uh, a headache, you know. Um, so there's so much you know and then he knows that he has to trust the fact that they're guarding that launch point and so when they talk about it all the time is he brave enough to step up into the pocket so when all of that madness is going on has he got the balls to step up forward into that pressure and deliver that ball and what does that depend on it depends on the O-line coverage but also depends on is that receiver who's running that fly route running that curl route running that slant whatever it is um, that he's after calling are they running the first one that they call or does he have to check that into a different option? Um, or are they going to be fast enough to get there? Do they fall down? And that's why you'll see an awful lot of harebrained plays there, I want you where, yep. and again, I, I have an eye on Kirk Cousins, he can be dynamo, but it also makes these plays where like, there was literally no one there. Like not, there was more defenders there than or water boys than there was players. He'll still throw the ball into that area because whether it's panic or he just expects the wide receiver to be there, something happened, they fell down, they got jammed, they picked that option because it wasn't open and he just went for it anyway because he's thinking, screw it. You know, it's so nuanced and complex, Daryl. But by the end of the chapter, 
and Kermit does a very good job at sort of breaking it down. It's very readable, but it is, there's a lot to that play call section, but I still found it very enjoyable because to know that, you know, each play call has a number and those number assigns to a curl or slant or an out or a dig or whatever, um, you know, that it all assigns to that. It was just sort of mind boggling the fact that it's all options. It's just, um, but you look at Rogers and we've always appreciated him and stuff like that. But as you said, it's the body language and we all know I'm the body language expert. It's when yes. he's out there and he's smirking at the defense because he knows what they're going to do. And that sort of puts them off um, and all that kind of stuff. Those sort of mind games. It is, these players really are a generational once in a lifetime oh, style yeah. talent. Yeah. And we've been lucky to have two in a we've generation with yeah, five. And we've had one, one after the other. So yeah. uh, what this does, if you've learned nothing at the end of all this, um, it's just that when someone goes, these oh, quarterbacks, Johnny, these little princesses or princes, you know, they can't throw, the only thing to do is throw the ball, man. You go, <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. No. But uh, yeah, it's a rip and read. And what I will say is you'll tear through this book pretty handy. We've only just taken, we've only just focused here and we've knocked a good, a good podcast out of, uh, of 20 mm. pages here, but it's, it's only a couple of pages. It's a rip roaring read. And the funny thing is like anything in life, you can get as much out of it as you want. You can fly through this book and get a very, very quick understanding, or you can focus on it a bit. And the play call piece, as, as you've already said, it's mind boggling, but it's, it's really, really interesting stuff, especially when you sit there listening to them roaring numbers and letters and you go, yeah, you know, it means something. Now, you know, now you know, so yeah, very fascinating book, Daryl. Um, but like we say, pick it up if you're interested in it. It's not too anaraki. It's very readable. Um, no, it is very readable, yeah. It's actually deceptively readable because you think, yeah, that's... that's but what I will say he's very good at doing, and again, we haven't had him on the show. He hasn't told us to do this podcast about him. But what I, what I do like about it, he's he's very... He's, one of, he's done one of those things that Einstein used to say, if you can't explain a complex thing simply, then you don't understand it. Yeah. Uh, this guy clearly understands it. Yeah. No, he's been around the block, but just from a perspective of not only Aaron Rodgers, but looking ahead to the future to Jordan Love and seeing the task that is yeah. ahead of him and the premium that they place on veteran quarterbacks who've been successful is interesting, a la Matt Stafford, uh, for instance. But yeah, that's it. Look, I'll be um, giving away a full-size... People have stopped listening, but I've been given, I'm going to give away a full-size iced... White. Um, white? Cool. Cool. Whip. Um, so a uh, nice white helmet. Aaron Jones. Son- oh man, it's Jonesy. It's a full size helmet, isn't it? Helmet. Yeah, oh. yeah full size. I mean, this thing is is so beautiful. I, you know, I don't want to give people the wrong idea here. Helmet, but I, you know, I wanted to bring it to bed and I'm sort of oh, sitting it on the side of the yeah, car. Yeah, I've, I've got the wrong idea straight away. I've got the wrong idea. Sitting, yeah, uh, sitting on the on the seaside with it, and you know, I'm just yeah. I'm gonna miss it. Gazing at the sunset. Yeah. So it's the, it's the first full size that we're doing and we have another one which is a Brett Favre Hall of Fame helmet full size oh. that we're giving away which is just Why are amazing. we giving this stuff away? Because we love our we love the fans bro we love the Fair enough Yep that's that it much. Look there's uh, more news coming up about meetups there's more news coming up about London and potential merch ideas and some other really really exciting stuff but uh, stay tuned look it's at UK Packers on Twitter on Instagram on Facebook there's a private group that's kind of blown up on Facebook as well which is amazing uh, jump in there and do all of that good stuff. The Raz, patreon.com forward slash UK Packers. If you feel like it, get onto the gold tier. You get popped into that draw like prize bonds, um, which is really good. That Brett Favre helmet's coming up soon. Just put your name in and forget about it. Just put your name in and forget about it. Get and what off, happens? Good off the fence, You get an man. email saying, yeah. you get an email saying, you've won a, a full-size helmet. Helmet. Okay, give us your address there, will you? Uh, just the postage on this is going to be absolute savagery as well. But you know Yeah, it will be. Gross. It is what it is. Daryl, at Daryl J. O'Brien, give him a follow at Steve Diddy NFL, and we'll talk to you next week.